how can it be that sometimes days seem to just drag by? You know, you look at your watch and it's 10 o'clock and you look again, you think it's been about an hour and it's been about 20 minutes. But at the same time, time collectively just seems to fly by. I mean, 2020 was like that. You know, with everything that was going on with the pandemic and all of that stuff, you know, it just seemed like, oh, you know, it's only Tuesday. You know, it seems like it should be at least Thursday. But then all of a sudden it's two weeks later. I mean, it was just Christmas and New Year's Eve. And here we are in the latter part of February. You know, time is a strange thing. There just never seems to be enough of it. When you're working a 40-hour-a-week job, you, you hate to see Monday coming, and you love weekends. And the weekend, it seems like, you know, from Friday night to Monday morning, it seems like maybe 12 hours it just flies by. And when you go on vacation, you, know, you take a week or two-week vacation, and, you know, it's time to go back to work. You know, and you think, oh, man, I wish my work week went that fast. You know, you, you plan on something, you know, that's way out there and you think, well, I got a lot of time before the wedding or before Christmas or before vacation. And then all of a sudden it's just a few days away. You know, we find ourselves kind of wishing our lives away. You know, it's been really cold here in Oklahoma <coughs> and a lot of problems have come from that. And you think, oh man, I wish it was summer or at least spring or I wish it was Christmas, you know. And I know that God came up with the seven-day week, obviously. We see that in Genesis. But, I mean, whose idea was this 24-hour day in 60 seconds make a minute and 60 minutes make an hour? And, and I mean, why not 10 hours and... 100 seconds make a minute and 100 minutes make an hour. Uh, you know, it'd be much easier to figure out, wouldn't it? I mean, no matter how much time we think that we have, it doesn't seem to be enough. Things just get here so fast. Deadlines, you know, when you're in college and, you know, the first day and a professor says, okay, in two months you're going to have to have this paper due. And you think, oh, two months, man, I got all kinds of time to work on that. And all of a sudden, that two months is two days, and you haven't really started to do anything on it. You know, it seemed so far away, but it got here so quickly. You know, maybe that's why most people seem to be in such a hurry. You know, they've got to get home, they got to get to work, they got to get to the store, they got to get to school, they got to get to their kids' games, you know, whatever it may be. And Everybody thinks is they're in a bigger hurry than anybody else. You know, it's like, don't all these people know that I've got to get home and get dinner ready? You know, don't these people know that I'm going to be late for my son's game or my daughter's game or whatever it might be? You know, we get in this big hurry sometimes and we think we're doing pretty well. And then, you know, you travel down the road and then you go around the bend and all of a sudden traffic is backed up for miles. <sighs> Man, I don't know. 
we got to be able to figure out time a little bit better than what we do. At least I know I do. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that time means nothing to you. You know, we're, we're told that a, a day is like a, a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And, you know, when we're told that Jesus is coming soon, that might mean before my next breath, or it might mean another 2,000 years from now. So, Father, help us to concentrate more on the moment and what we can be doing for you in that moment. But, Father, we know that that you watch over us all of the time when we're, we're relaxed and things are going well and when we're racking our head and trying to accomplish things. But Father, just be with us during this time and get the message that you have for us. Just let your Holy Spirit guide us and open our ears and our hearts and Lord, that we can hear what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're in this big hurry and then you get interrupted. Something happens that totally throws off your schedule. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, you, you think you're doing well and the phone rings or the doorbell rings. You're like, ah, oh, I don't have time for this. Or you go out and you know, you got a flat tire where the car won't start. Or you're rushing to get ready to, to leave for an appointment or work or school or whatever it might be. And you or somebody else spills something on your clothes. And you either got to be able to get it cleaned up or change your clothes or whatever. Or, you know, you can't find your keys or the baby wakes up or somebody gets hurt or whatever. Well, you know, don't feel like the Lone Ranger because we've all been there. And I mean, we've all been there. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. New Living Translation. It says, On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. Okay, now the crowds probably slowed him up, you know, to some point. But Jesus felt that it was important that he go to uh, Jairus' house to, to heal his daughter. You know, sometimes he didn't go. You know, sometimes he kind of healed long distance. You know, he'd say, you know, just go home, everything's going to be fine. And you get there and everything was fine. So Jesus is on his way and... Then comes verses 43 and 44. There's a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Now, some translations say that she'd spent all of her money trying to find a cure, and she just kept getting worse. Okay, but coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Now, I don't know if there was a connection with the 12 years that she had had the bleeding and the 12 years that was the age of this daughter. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Just thought I'd throw that in there. So this woman gets healed. 
Well, let's move on to verses 45 and 46. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, uh, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out for me. Now, Jesus' statement here brings up a whole new message, but not today. Okay? But let's go on to verse 47 and 48. It says, When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him, that she and that she had immediately been healed. Daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I'm trying to picture uh, Jairus during this. It's like, uh, Jesus, remember me? You know, we're going to, to heal my daughter. She's dying, you know. Did you, did you forget about her? You know, I mean, this woman, yeah, she's got a problem. But, you know, we don't have time for this woman. You know, Jesus, come on, let's go. You know, my daughter's dying, and you said you were going to go and make everything all right, and you got to stop for this woman? And he probably would say it that way, you know. She's not important. Because there was only one thing on his mind, and that was his daughter. And I can understand. Now, this woman... You know, I guess it's some translations say that she spent all her money. So maybe this woman was a beggar. And Jairus, we're told that he was the leader in the synagogue, so he may have been familiar with her. But this woman was a distraction. She was an interruption into what was most important. Verse 49, while Jesus was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Jairus's thoughts, in my mind, my daughter's dead. If we hadn't stopped for this woman, she might still be alive. But Jesus wasn't caught off guard by the interruption. I mean, he knew the end results. In verse 50, it says, But when Jesus heard what happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she'll be healed. What had healed this woman? Jesus said, It's your faith that has healed you. Jesus told Jairus, Just have faith, and she will be healed. You know, weren't you paying attention here, Jairus? You know, you had faith to come and get me. So have faith now that things are going to be all right. Then going on in verses 51 to 56, it says, When they arrived at the house, Jesus would not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, 
my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. This girl was important, but she was no more important than this woman that had been healed. Both of them healed immediately by Jesus. The interruption from the, from the woman was no interruption at all. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 37. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now, where the Sea of Galilee was situated, this wasn't an unusual thing because storms often could come out of nowhere because there was warmer weather on the one side of the lake and there was mountains on the other and the cold air and the warm air would kind of meet over the, the Sea of Galilee and would cause these storms to come up. But you need to remember what Jesus said in verse 35. It's really, really important because Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. He knew that they would make it to the other side of the lake. Okay, it wasn't a question for him. He knew that that was gonna happen. Continuing in verse 38 to 41, it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're gonna drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples, they were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus had been interrupted. Okay, he was taking a well-deserved nap, knowing that they were going to get to the other side. Jesus hadn't said, hey, let's hop in the boat and go out and get drowned in the middle of the lake. Jesus had faith. The disciples did not. That's what Jesus asked them. Do you still have no faith? The woman had faith that interrupted. Jairus had faith enough to ask Jesus for the healing. The disciples didn't have faith enough to know that they were going to make it to the other side. Well, in John chapter 2, we find Jesus' first miracle. You know, the one where he turned the water into wine. There was a, a big wedding. Jesus and his disciples were there. His mother, Mary, was there, and you know, probably, you know, a whole bunch of other people that they knew. Now, wedding receptions or wedding feasts 
in this culture could last for a week or more. Can you imagine the cost of that, dads? You know, when your daughter gets married, you know, you think it costs a lot now. Just think if you had to put on a week-long wedding reception. Well, so what happened at this wedding? They ran out of wine. Now, this would not be the normal everyday wine, the wine that they drank because they couldn't drink the water. And so it was a wine that had a very low alcohol content, that it was just uh, to kill the germs. It was fermented enough to do that. But this was the good stuff. Now, we aren't told whose wedding this is, but like I said, Jesus was there, Mary was there, so it may have been a, a family member or close friend, but you know, it's close enough that, that Mary's concerned. And so what does she do? She interrupts Jesus. In John chapter two, verse three, Jesus's mother told him, they have no more wine. So maybe, just, just maybe, this was not Jesus's first miracle. Maybe it was the first recorded miracle. Because how did Mary know that Jesus could do something about the problem? Hmm, I'm not sure about that one. Have to ask him when we get there. Verses four and five goes on, and Jesus says, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Doesn't that sound like a good Jewish mother? You know, hey, don't listen to him. Just listen to me. You know, I mean, he's 30 years old, but he still does what his mama tells him. So what happens? Like a good son, he does what his mother wants. So Jesus had the servants fill six 20 to 30 gallon jars with water. That's 120 to 180 gallons of Listen to verses 9 and 10. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, you've kept the best until now. Now, I know nothing about wine. But, you know, saying that he was given the best and instead of the cheap stuff, it's like saying, you know, this is the Mercedes. You know, this isn't the beat up old Chevy pickup truck. You know, you're given the good stuff. So even though Jesus had been interrupted by his mom, he did the best. Okay, he produced 120 to 180 gallons of wine. So the wedding reception could go on as planned. Then we look at Luke chapter 18, where we find Jesus being interrupted again. Verse, beginning in verse 35, it says, 
As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Jesus and the disciples, here they were, on their way to Jerusalem, about 15 miles from Jericho, okay, Palm Sunday, as we call it, or the triumphant entry, uh, is coming up. And so Jesus had a lot to do in preparation. There's a lot that happened that last week. And so Jesus knew that his time was short, but he had time for a blind beggar. And Mark calls him Bartimaeus. So the interruption didn't bother him. He could have kept on going, but he knew what he needed to do for this man. So following this in Luke 19, we find something that only Luke tells us about. And this is a, a, a popular interruption. Okay, there's even a song written about it. Well, Luke tells us that Jesus was going through Jericho and this short guy caused a st real stir. Okay, Zacchaeus, the guy is short in stature, but big on money. Short on friends, but big in power, because he was a hated tax collector. Luke 19, 3 and 4. He, meaning Zacchaeus, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, we know that the crowd was not going to let him through. You know, maybe they would let somebody else through, but when they saw who it was, no way Zacchaeus was going to get through that crowd. Okay, and if he did make it through, he had had so many elbows and punches and everything else before he got through. So we don't know Zacchaeus's interest in Jesus. You know, maybe he'd heard him speak before. Maybe he'd witnessed a miracle. Maybe he knew about Jesus and was just overcome with guilt. So Zacchaeus was in a good place now to see Jesus and much more. Verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement. Jesus did not mind the interruption because he knew 
the outcome and just the impact that this could have. So the rest of the crowd, they were upset with Jesus. Verse 7 says, He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus was never a crowd pleaser. Didn't bother him what the others were saying. He knew what needed to happen. And Zacchaeus confessed his sins. Jesus promised to repent in front of all of his friends. And Jesus was pleased. He said, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This was an interruption that changed at least one man's life. Now, Zacchaeus had many of his fellow sinners at the house that day. And maybe some of them came to know the Lord at that time or soon afterwards. One more quick one. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. Quite unlike the teachers of the religious law, Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. The New Living Translation refers to those with Jesus as companions. Others simply say that, that they were with him when they went to Capernaum. Now, Jesus hasn't appointed the twelve yet. when He called James and John and Peter and Andrew. But the evil spirit knew who Jesus was because Satan knows who Jesus is. And Satan is the master of the evil spirits. And at this time, Jesus wanted to kind of fly under the radar because it was too early in his ministry. But verse 28 tells us that that didn't happen. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. That's pretty understandable. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in your church on a Sunday morning? Most churchgoers would not believe what they saw. Many would be afraid to tell anyone because somebody would tell them that they were crazy. But Jesus was teaching, and then there was this interruption by this possessed man. But it didn't bother Jesus. He just took control of the situation and did what needed to be done. Sometimes we get distracted or interrupted when we're trying to do something. Jesus was interrupted by good things, healings, salvation, raising the dead. I get distracted by common things, sometimes useless things. I get distracted by the weather, TV, 
traffic kids my to-do list I need to learn to shut that all off to focus on what I need to be doing for Jesus to meditate on the scripture and realize that the interruptions are going to come and if they're a good interruption that's okay you know if I'm maybe in the middle of doing devotions and you know I get a, a phone call from somebody that needs to talk to me now then hey that's okay you know and that's happened to me more than once when I was just a few weeks ago I did started my podcast and just beginning got a phone call from somebody that I needed to talk to her now and so I stopped and was able to talk with her and then just start back over again on the podcast because that interruption was something that was important I could have said you know oh, you know I just started this I really don't want to quit and you know I can just call her back later no I needed that interruption to interrupt me at that time but there's a chorus that I've probably used before and you're probably familiar with but it's one that I think really fits it says turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace okay the interruptions that come just the ones that are meaningful you handle them the ones that you know can wait you just push them off and say you know not now you know I'm doing this for Jesus you know I'm trying to make myself better for Jesus and so you know I don't need to watch TV I don't need to answer this email right now I don't need to you know whatever because I've got my eyes turned on Jesus father I just give you thanks that you continually tell us to to look to you and Lord sometimes that's not an easy thing for us to do because we're so ingrained with having to to do everything right now and Lord we sometimes forget about what's the most important and that's you and doing things for you doing our best for you in every way that we possibly can so father help us to turn our eyes to you when we find ourselves being interrupted when we find ourselves being distracted by things that, that aren't important things that can be taken care of later or things that can be just totally blown off because they're not important at all but father we need to concentrate on that and to do that and the only way to do it is to to know what's most important and to set our eyes on that and that's like the course says to turn our eyes on Jesus so father help us to learn better how to do that and Lord I just lift up anyone that maybe has stumbled on this podcast somehow maybe they thought it sounded good pardon the interruption you know maybe they thought it was from ESPN I don't know but hopefully if they tuned in then Lord they are gonna find you through this because you are the only one that's important you know you are more important than any other part of our lives and the relationship with you is the most important relationship that we can ever have and so everybody needs to begin that relationship and it only begins one way and that's by admitting that we've been a sinner and that we need 
Jesus to pay the price for our sins because a price has to be paid for the sins of everyone. And Jesus came to do that. So Father, help us to, to learn from that. And that, Lord, if there's someone that, that needs to know, how do I do this? You do it like this. Just pray along with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. He died for my sins and he rose from the dead to give me new life. Father, I give you thanks that you love me that much, that you gave us the very best you have. Lord, I give you my life. Now let my life be turned over to you, that I can do the very best for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.